Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. We are in a series on idols and uh, we've been kind of going after the things that go after us and go after our hearts. We've been using this quote from Tim Keller that says, idols are just good things turned into ultimate things. St. Augustine, who was a African bishop in the 4th and 5th century, he had this idea of disordered loves, that sin or idol worship is just a disordering of our loves. His idea was that it's not so much that we love the wrong things, but we love the right things in the wrong order, that we go after and we idolize the wrong things in our hearts. And idols always end up consuming us. What we worship consumes us. Jesus put it like this, you cannot serve two masters. And we have temptation over and over again to just serve different things, to go in different directions, to go after the thing that we feel like will fulfill us. And uh, we've been talking about a bunch of stuff. Sienna talked about the Aussie dream, getting, you know, the house and the sort of getting all the stuff and having a good life, a comfortable life. We talked about progress. Last week, uh, Will Small was with us. He talked about the idol of self, how we, how we tend to idolize ourselves, uh, particularly in our culture and age of so- social media. And this morning, I want to give like the counterpoint to that talk, which is our idolization of others. This is kind of like the other side of the coin to the idolization of self. Having others at the center of your being sounds like a pretty Jesus-y thing to do. Sounds like that's what Jesus would want us to do, right? He taught us to love our enemies, to love our neighbors, to lay your life down for your brother, to sacrifice, to become servants, not leaders. But anytime we put something other than Jesus at the center of our being, it will have detrimental effects. This happens in all sorts of subtle ways. It happens a lot, this kind of idolatry of others, putting others in a, in a pedestal, others in a central place in our, in our lives. It happens a lot in our culture. We have like an obsession with celebrity, right? We just love a celebrity. We think that if more people are looking at someone, they have more to say. If someone has a lot of followers, a lot of people listening to them, then obviously they've got more to say, right? That's just the way that we think. We, we value algorithm over expertise. I heard someone say once, you know, is it interesting that we call celebrities stars? Have you ever, like, wondered where that came from? That we, like, stars? You know, the ancients would look at stars for two reasons. One, for direction, like, for orientation, like, where am I going? And then they also thought that stars were, like, celestial beings, like gods. And so, like, we call celebrities stars because we look at them for orientation. We see them as these, as these mini-gods because more people are looking at them, because they're elevated above something else. We think they have more authority more things to say. And, uh, you know, we do this in our culture, but we do this in church as well. Like the celebrity pastor, isn't it funny that that is a phrase, celebrity pastor? Pretty interesting that we um, put people on, on pedestals like that. John Mark Comer, who is a celebrity pastor, so this is kind of ironic. He said, we've traded saints for celebrities. In the church tradition, a saint would be 
um, go through this long process and have all these things and they'd be confirmed by the church. Like the church as an institution and authority would say, like this person has done enough ministry. They've performed miracles. They have like this long-standing track record. And it'd often be when they're older in life or dead, right? And so, and they'd often lived in a life of obscurity. And so we have all these saints through history, which are like a a form of celebrity, but they've been um, given weight and authority through this long, unusual process. Whereas today, you know, in the kind of church world, it's like whoever's shot up the most in the quickest time, they're like the celebrity. Whoever popped up overnight, whoever's church grew the quickest. Isn't it interesting? We have an obsession with celebrity. We have an obsession with the majority. Our idolization for others comes out this way, that we want everyone to like us and accept us. We want recognition. We want everyone to, like, look at us and respect us. And social media has been really harmful in this way, right? Because for the first time in history, we have like actual number proof of who likes us, who follows us, who disagrees with us. Like we can quantify it. And I think that's been like a pretty harmful thing in human history. You think about being cancelled is like one of the worst things we can do to a human being in this day and age. It's like the like withholding of our approval. Because we, we live in this, like, idolization of others. We want others to think well of us. And there's part of that that's good, and part of that that is right. Our idolization of others shows up in our obsession over certain relationships in our life. Certain people hold a lot of weight in our world. It might be a parent or a spouse or a child or a best friend or maybe a past relationship that still holds, like, gravity and significance, an ex or someone you've lost. Or maybe it's a future relationship, like a future husband or future wife or a future child or whatever it is. We, we have this place in our heart for other people. Again, nothing wrong with those things, those people, nothing wrong with desiring those things. But any relationship other than Jesus at the center of our lives has the ability to let us down because humans are humans. I don't know if you've noticed, but humans are fickle. Even when you find the perfect wife and you marry them, they will put the toilet roll on the wrong way or not do the dishes or whatever it is. Humans will let us down. They'll disappoint us. Or something might happen to them. We might lose them. Then what happens? What do we do then? This idolization of others comes up in our obsession with the charismatic leader. We all get caught in this, you know, a spiritual leader or a thought leader or some sort of political figure or someone who leads the cult of F45 or essential oils. That's a joke, by the way. Others, others can rule our lives in all sorts of subtle ways, all sorts of subtle ways. So what's the answer? What do we do to free ourselves from the idol of others? Remember, idols are just loving the right things in the wrong order. That chapter that Sandy read out, well done, all the names that you have to repeat over and over again, Nebuchadnezzar and the golden statue. It's a really interesting story, and it shows us that when we idolize someone, like a king, it can cause us to do some pretty interesting things. It can cause us to do some pretty dumb stuff as, as humans. So Nebuchadnezzar built this like golden statue 
precious metals, really big, really imposing. And obviously, I think people would have walked past and been impressed. Oh, that's like, that's a cool statue. You know, like that's, that's a pretty marvelous feat of engineering. But obviously, people weren't walking past and bowing down in worship because the king made it a decree that everyone had to do it. So obviously, people weren't doing it already. And so there's something about, there's this like convergence of, of two things happening right here. Number one, a powerful person in our world telling us to do something is a pretty powerful force. Someone in one of those positions, you know, a celebrity, someone close to us, someone that has a, has a, a space of gravity, a charismatic leader. Having someone like that tell us to do something and then looking around and seeing everyone else doing it, those are the convergence of two very, very powerful forces that can cause us into idolatry, putting the right things in the wrong order. But this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. Verse 16. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I love that they were like, we want to make it clear, your majesty. Add that in. We want to make it clear, your majesty. This is what family systems theory or Bowen theory calls differentiation. Differentiation. And this is a really important principle, I think, in life. Differentiation, or you know, some people call it boundaries, is simply being your own person. In the face of a powerful person in their world, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the king telling them something to do, telling them bow down and worship a golden statue, and looking across and the whole nation is doing it, to be able to stand and say, no, your majesty, is a pretty, empower, a pretty uh, impressive feat. Knowing where I stop and someone else begins, that's differentiation. Kind of like a boat. A boat is in the ocean, and a boat is differentiated from the ocean, which allows it to float. If the boat becomes part of the ocean, undifferentiated, it sinks to the bottom. And so it's the differentiation that allows you to be connected to the ocean, but separate from it. That's the idea behind differentiation. Henry Cloud, John Townsend wrote a book called boundaries. And Henry Cloud says this. He says, boundaries or differentiation is knowing where my lawn ends and where my neighbors begins. Knowing the boundary line. This is really important in terms of relationships, to know where I begin and someone else starts. Jeremy Jones, I didn't ask if I could tell this story, but I'm sure it's fine. Bought Bought a, you can tell me if, if, if I need to stop, yeah, just yell out anytime. Um, Jeremy Jones, in his old house, bought a, a robot lawnmower, which is the coolest thing. Like, you just, you go there and it's just cruising around, just, just mowing the lawn. It's just like consistently just perfect lawn all the time. And um, you, can, you can name the lawnmower. And so we were like brainstorming all these names to name the lawnmower. And Jeremy's like, I've already got it. I know what the name is. Jason, Jason Momoa. <laughs> and so J- 
Jason Momoa, and, and the way I understand Jason to work, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that you set up a, like a boundary wire around your yard. To, and so Jason knows what, what lawn is his, what, what sort of area is his to mow. And I was out with Jez once, and he gets a text from Jason. Jason can text, obviously. <laughs> and the text says, Jason is stuck. <laughs> Which I just think is the best thing ever. And it turns out Jason had cut his own boundary wire. Oh, <laughs> poor Jason. <laughs> and so his boundary was cut. And so he became stuck. He didn't know what was his lawn anymore. And so he just was like stuck. And I reckon that is a beautiful picture of like when our boundaries are cut, when we are undifferentiated, we don't know like what's ours to operate in and what is someone else's. This idea of differentiation is really important. Uh, Edwin Freeman wrote a book called The Failure of Nerve. And he says this, this thing. He says, every entity in the universe that is destructive. Everything, anything you think about nature, anywhere that's destructive, they all share one major characteristic, is that they are undifferentiated. They are unable to self-regulate. So you think about cancer. Cancer are cells that are undifferentiated. They don't self-regulate. They just go everywhere. You think about a bomb. A bomb is not differentiated. It just goes everywhere. You think about a natural disaster, a tsunami, a volcano, volcano eruption. It's, it's like the, the going out of boundaries. And it's this thing that, that becomes destructive. I know a girl, and she's got no boundaries. She's, she's beautiful, especially at sunset. Her name's Tugra Lake. <laughs> and she is beautiful, but I tell you what, she, she definitely does not have boundaries. As soon as it rains a little bit, she's creeping out into, into my lawn. And so we actually moved yesterday, and part of the reason is we need to get away from Tugra Lake because she has no boundaries. And that's like a picture of what happens when someone actually has no boundaries. They begin to creep into your world, or you allow other things to creep into your world. When we don't know where we start and someone else stops. So it's a really important part for us to find who am I? Like, what person am I? What boundaries do I have? Where is my differentiation? And so there are two alternatives to being differentiated as a person. On, on one hand, you have enmeshment. This is all part of family systems theory. Enmeshment, which means that you are just like, you're like Tugger Lake. You are in everyone else's lawns. They're in your lawn. You don't know where you start or someone else begins, right? This is like idolatry. When I don't know where I start and Mel, my wife, begins, there is just too much like mixed up in there. I don't know when to say yes or when to say no. I don't know myself. The other option is to be um, detached, which is like you're just completely cut off. Instead of, instead of a boundary line, you've got a wall. You're letting no one in. And so both extremes are harmful. And the best place to be is right in the middle to be differentiated. Steve Cast says differentiation is being fully yourself and yet being fully connected. So it's the best of both ends, being fully yourself and being fully connected. Jesus, I think, was the most well-differentiated person in human history. And if you read through the gospel pages, we're reading uh, Luke at the moment in our Bible plan. If you continue to read through Luke... 
you will find, if you look through this lens, you will find how differentiated Jesus is as a person. It oozes through the, through the gospel pages. He's consistently bombarded with people trying to break down his boundaries. People's needs, people need to get healed. There's crowds, they're touching him. Um, the Pharisees are coming. They're like projecting all these things around what a Messiah should be. They're trying to trap him with all these questions. But you never get a hint of Jesus being phased by it. He is differentiated. He's never infected by the anxiety of others. He's moved by people, absolutely. He responds to people, absolutely. But there's no moment where you see him idolizing the other. Not his disciples, not the Pharisees, not Rome, not even his own family. He's a differentiated person. He's the epitome of being fully yourself and yet fully connected, like the boat. Fully itself, yet fully connected to the ocean. So how did he do it? It's pretty easy to just go, oh, he was God, you know? There's no hope for me. The whole point of Jesus is that he's a human, and he's, he's, he's teaching us how to live. He's teaching us the way to live. And Jesus wasn't just like God walking around. No, he was a human empowered by the, by the Spirit, the same Spirit that we have, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. I want to give you an example of one teaching of Jesus and then one example from his life. The great commandment, Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is a masterclass in reordering your loves, having the right loves in the right order. And we can read that, that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, and we can sometimes read it as an invitation to have zero boundaries. You need to help everyone you see. You need, to, you need to help every single person in need. You need to lay your life down. You need to like just pour yourself out for people. And there's, there's beautiful truth in that. When you think about the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. Why, why is that in there? As yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now you can only truly love to the degree that you love and know yourself. You can only truly love your neighbor to the degree that you know and love yourself. We are to love others, not to worship them. We're to be differentiated, not enmeshed. But then you think about where it comes in the order of the great commandment. Loving our neighbor as ourself actually comes out of love of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that you have. Putting the right things in the right order. It's when we love God and put him first that we actually can serve others. We know ourselves and we can serve others. James Martin, who's a Jesuit priest, he says this, if God is at the center of your life, it actually creates more room for others and not less. It enlarges our soul. It's kind of like, you know, when you're doing up a, a button-up shirt and you're buttoning up your shirt and you get to the end and you realize you've made a mistake and it's all messed up and you have to go back to the start. But if you get that first button right, they all just pop into place. It's putting the first things first, getting the first things right, loving the right things in the right order. 
There's this great example from Jesus' life. I love it. In Luke chapter 5, verse 15, it says, But Jesus, despite Jesus' instructions, he was telling people, he was starting to begin to preach and stuff, but he was telling people not to tell anyone. He was like, keep it underground. This is a secret thing. Despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. Vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their disease. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. This is always just a a fascinating thing to me. Jesus' ministry is kicked off, and it is like a success. There are crowds everywhere. People are listening to him. They're following him. They're they're chasing him. They want to hear his teaching. They want him to heal their disease. They want to see the kingdom of heaven come on earth. He was a success. But for Jesus in this moment, when there's a crowd coming at him and there's people with needs, people that want to be healed, what does it look like for Jesus to love his neighbor in this moment is to slip away to the wilderness and pray. Isn't that really interesting? That in this moment where all is success, his natural instinct is to slip away to the wilderness and pray. One of the great counter practices to the worshipping of others in our world, the idolization of others, is silence and solitude with God. Eugene Peterson says, Solitude warns off the poison of recognition. Dallas Willard says, Solitude helps us unhitch. It's when we are away, alone with God, that we realize there is actually space between me and the next person. We start to learn where I stop and someone else begins. It's when we're alone with God that we realize we are never actually alone because the presence of Jesus is there with us. It's in the presence of Jesus alone that we realize I'm always accepted, regardless of what other people say about me, regardless of how many people follow me, regardless of that other relationship that I have or don't have in my life regardless of the quality of that relationship, the, 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 the most key relationships in my life, regardless of how those things are going, whether someone gets sick or not, that I am always accepted, I always have a place, I am always at home in the presence of Jesus. It's a deep abiding in Jesus, knowing the Father's heart that allows me and frees me to actually love others. It's when we're truly differentiated differentiated, I can't say that word this morning. It's when we're truly differentiated, not, not enmeshed, not detached, that we are able to love and serve those around us more fully. It's from the silent place, the secret place, that forms our strength to engage the world, to love enemies and neighbors alike. It's from the place of abiding in Jesus that allows us to be more fully present with others.